0: Last week, I was listening to a TV interview of one of our political leaders. She talked at some length about COVID, about the deadlock in Washington, about racial inequality, and about the climate crisis. And then with a bright smile, she added, but I'm an optimist and I think we can deal with all this." I thought to myself, where in the world does she get optimism? This is a bleak society that we live in, one filled with disease and disaster and death. Who can be an optimist in a world like this? And yet, to tell you the truth, I'd like to be an optimist. It sure beats being depressed or in despair. I had a parishioner uh, years ago who had also been one of my philosophy teachers in college, and he used to like to say with a little grin, you know, Christianity is an optimism. I wonder where he got that. Or is it just sort of foolish ignorance? Well, today we celebrate all saints. And you remember that in the New Testament, all the baptized are considered saints. The word literally is agioi, holy ones and we're called that not because we're morally perfect but because we have been united to the death and resurrection of Christ in baptism and therefore share in his righteousness that's how we're holy that's how we're saints and my question for this morning is is it possible for the saints to have a sanctified sense of the future is it possible for us saints to see the future as optimists? Can we look at what is to come without a sense of fear and trembling? That's what I want to know. And if we look again at that second reading this morning, the one from Re- the Revelation of St. John the Divine, the answer is yes, 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 we can be optimists. Now, the Revelation was written by a man who calls himself simply John, a presbyter, a priest. and has a series of seven visions, and today's reading is from the last of those visions. And just prior to today's reading, we hear that evil has been defeated and punished. In his symbolic language, the dragon has been thrown into the lake of fire. And then today's reading begins with the word, then. Then John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem descending down upon the earth. Now, please note, this is not a vision of a new Jerusalem or a heaven that is far away or in another dimension or something. This is something in John's vision that takes place on this earth. And it comes as a gift from God. Sometimes we talk as if Christians, the saints, are going to build the kingdom of God. We can't do that. It always comes as a gift, as grace, as generosity from God. So the new Jerusalem, the new earth, the new heaven descends as a gift from God. It's a vision about transformation. It's a vision about recreation. It's a vision about being made new. And then there's the great and majestic voice from the throne the voice that says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with humanity. Now, The literal translation is God makes his tent, God sets up his tent among human beings. Or to put it in our terms, God is building a new house on our street. And when God does that, what does God do? How does he keep himself occupied? Well, he dries tears from people's eyes, he comforts the mourning, he takes away pain, and he destroys death. This is a wonderful, majestic vision that comes from John's pen. I think myself that it shouldn't be merely read, but it needs to be chanted or sung somehow. Uh, Marcia, why didn't you sing it this morning? (laughs) Behold, the dwelling of God is with men, with human beings. Now, it's a vision based on the Incarnation and the death and the resurrection of Christ. That's what's really talking about. In the Incarnation, which we'll celebrate next month, We hear about Jesus as the Word made flesh and living among us. Or in Matthew's Gospel about Jesus' nickname, Emmanuel, God with us. It is in Jesus that God makes God's dwelling among human beings. And then on the cross, Jesus wrestles The forces of evil and pain and death to the ground and defeats them. And then on the third day comes the resurrection, the victory of the life and love of God. And this vision from Revelation is really basically a vision, a a view of the future about the resurrection. What would it look like if the power of the risen Lord was spread around all through life, all through human beings, all through our society, why, it would look like a new heaven and a new earth coming as a gift from God. When I was Bishop in Montana, the Dean of the Cathedral, one Easter season came to me and he said, Bishop, I want to propose a change in the liturgy. I want to change the Easter acclamation. You know, this is the one that says, Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. He said, I think it ought to be this. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is on the loose. Hallelujah." That's what we're talking about. The risen Lord on the loose in the world. Behold, I am making all Things new. Present tense. The risen Lord is active. And when the risen Lord is active, it's about transformation, recreation, making all things new. That's what we look for in the future. The risen Lord being the risen Lord. Conquering death, pain, mourning. Well, you might at this point scratch your head and said, well, you could fool me. It looks like the same old world. Some years back, I read a, a book by Thomas Cahill called How the Irish Saved Civilization. Some of you have read it. Basically, what Cahill says is that during the Dark Ages, some monks at the very edge of what was known as the civilized world were busy copying manuscripts, writing books, and holding up the value of teaching and learning. And thereby, they saved the world. Heaven and earth come together. And that got me thinking about other developments that have happened among Christian people, happened among the saints. It's among the saints, for instance, that hospitals developed, that universities developed, that our sense that every human being is valuable and unique, the lifting up of the virtues of freedom and equality And forgiveness, all of those are examples of the risen Christ working in society and making the heavens come down to earth. Remember Martin Luther King? I have a dream. It's a dream of the new creation. And it includes you and me. In a few moments we will be partaking of Holy Communion and the risen Lord will come among us and hide himself in the bread and the wine. The risen Lord will feed us on his presence as the prayer book says he will live in us and we will live in him in the most intimate, physical, spiritual, possible way that you can imagine and you may not feel anything or perceive anything in in this given moment but the truth is when you commune you are changed. Jesus is there in your life turning you a little more towards Jesus. A little more moving around in all the rooms in your life that you live in changing them it may be slow, it may be gradual, in some cases it's dramatic, but it happens in us. Behold, I am making all things new, including you. Years and years ago, I presented for ordination uh, a friend named Jim. I presented him for ordination as a permanent or a vocational deacon. And in his early years as a deacon, he did it really well. He had some extraordinary ministry among uh, street kids. After I moved to Montana, he and his clergy spouse wife took up a position in in western Montana. By this time, however, Jim's health was on the fail. And when I would see him, we would agree that when he was feeling better, we'd share a meal together. that became part of the give and take that we had. One of us would say before we left the other's presence, I'm looking forward to that meal. I'm looking forward to that meal. Yeah, me too. His health declined some more, and uh, death seemed to be near, so I drove to where he lived to talk with him and pray with him. And one of the things he had to say is, I don't want a funeral. No funeral, Bishop. I can't stand the idea of people saying that I'm a really good person because I'm not really good. Then death occurred. I ignored his request and we had a funeral. In Majestic St. John's Church in Butte we had a Eucharist and we communed. Now remember that the Eucharist in part is a foretaste of the feast to come, a foretaste of the feast to come. John John Wesley used to call it the anti pasto course of heaven. While we were communing around the altar there imbued, in, in the nearer presence of the risen Lord, Jim was sharing that meal with us. When you're feeling better, Jim. We'll share a meal. And we did. And we will. Do you know what that's called? That's called hope.